Uh, good to see you all again this morning. And uh, I'll, I'll very briefly give a summary of where we went last night. For those of you who weren't here, or for those of you who were sleeping, obviously I realise Friday night you all arrived tired and exhausted. And uh, as H said, we dived right into it there. Uh, let's just pray before I speak. So Father, thank you for your word. And speak to us now, we pray. Um, speak to us in ways that we can understand. Speak to us in ways that feed our heart and our head. Speak to us in ways that transform. For Jesus, you said the truth will set you free. So liberate us by your truth, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So the title there is behind me is um, A Life Less Ordering. If I click on this, oh yeah, look, it's all working, fantastic. Love it when technology works. So uh, A Life Less Ordinary is the title which I borrowed from a film. Anyway, put your hand up if you saw that film a few years ago that was out and uh, a few of us, I've... Uh, um, not, not so much commending the film, but I thought the, the title, what a fantastic title to describe the Christian life, to describe the, the, the authentic Christian life called to be radical disciples of um, the God-man Jesus Christ, the rescuer of humanity, uh, who came to redeem us uh, that we might, so that we might have life, life in all of its, its fullness. We're called to live a life less ordinary uh, in a world of mediocrity. We're called to dance to the beat of a different drum. I mentioned last night that boredom, um, the bored Christian, should be an oxymoron. Um, because actually we of all people uh, should be people who have something to live for. Uh, there's a, another sermon ent ent entirely, which I, I do sometimes, called True Conversion. I, I say this, that true conversion is... Um, I should slow down, shouldn't I, Andy? <laughs> Sorry. Andy said to me, I just looked at the boss and... Uh, because he said to me last night about speaking to, uh, slower. Okay, true conversion is conversion to Christ, conversion to his cause, and conversion to his community. That, that's authentic conversion, not just to the Lord Jesus Christ, but to the church. This is another sermon. I'm trans trespassing in another sermon. But the middle one, conversion to his cause. When we were converted, we were wedded to a cause, and that's the cause of the glorious gospel of the kingdom of God. And that's the most exciting thing on planet Earth. And uh, it's, it's imperative that we ourselves walk in the fullness of that, that we might become authentic and effective ambassadors of that. So a life less ordinary. We, I said we live in uh, lives sometimes, people around us have lives of mediocrity, lives of, of boredom. Remember a few years ago when I was on the staff of a church just outside London, Chorley Wood, in uh, St Andrew's Chorley Wood, and uh, my wife, Tammy, who you met last night, she'd gone off skiing. She's a ski instructor. Uh, I mean, she's a doctor by profession, but she's, she's a qualified ski instructor. And uh, so she went off skiing, and I, I was left home alone. And this is before we had kids. And I was the line manager of the youth department in St. Andrews. So I invited the, the, the young people from the church round, and we did a games evening. Chris Tarrant's Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? I remember it was. And I cooked them some uh, healthy food. I remember some oven pizza. There was a, there was a bowl of fruit as well. And um, the, the, we were having this games evening and the phone went. And this, this is, we, we still use landlines. This is how old the story is now. We still use landlines. So, so the phone goes, burp, 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 and I picked it up. And the voice said this, this is the BT voice messaging service. Press one to receive your message. Now, this was the time when the technology had just come in where you could actually send a text to a landline and it converted it into an, elect an electronic voice. Is that still going, that? Yeah. Is it? Yeah, I don't I knew. 
Anyway, I know this had just come in, that technology had just come in. So I didn't know what was going on. So it said, this is the BT voice messaging service. Press one to receive your message. So the young people, as they sat on the floor playing this game, so I pressed one and this female, sounded female, staccato electronic voice said this, I know your wife is away. That's what it, that's what it said, I know, weird, isn't that weird, weird isn't it? I, so the kids, the young people are there and I'm thinking, this is, and they all go, who is it, who is it? And I say, oh, nobody, wrong number. I put the, just put the phone down, wrong number. I, what is going on? No so anyway, the phone goes again a few minutes later, brr, brr, pick it up, BT voice messaging service, press one to receive your message. So uh, I pressed one and then it said this, you will be mine. That's what it said. So the first one, I know your wife is away. And the second one said, you will be mine. So at this point, I thought, what is this? Have I got a stalker? And uh, we, I'd not had a stalker to this point. Didn't entirely surprise me, man of my position, having a stalker. Anyway, so uh, but the, the, the young people said, who is it? Who, who is it? And I said, nobody, it's, uh, I don't know what it is. Just let's carry on playing the game. Ignored it. Then the phone goes again. And I ignore it. So the young people go, you're not going to answer the phone. So I think, oh, I better answer the phone. So I pick up the phone, and it's, of course, the BT voice messaging service. Of course it is. <laughs> press one to receive the message. So I press one, and then it says this. I'm coming to stab you in your bed. No, I know. The gasp is entirely uh, predictable. And right, rightly so. I mean, shocking, isn't it? <laughs> so that's what it said. Anyway, so I, I, panicked. I slightly thought, no, what is, what is this? And then uh, I lost my cool, because at, at Wycliffe Hall, they used to tr train you to be cool and collective, the kind of the Sean Connery school of being a vicar. Yes, much money, Penny, cool and collected. So, uh, but anyway, uh, up until then, I'd been cool on the outside, but slightly panicky on the inside. But I, it kind of reversed. So I put the phone down and I said to the young people, that's it. I said, uh, I said you know, somebody's out there. I said, they're, they're surrounding the house or something. It was, <laughs> and at this point, one of the young people on the floor uh, got out his mobile phone and he said, it's me, it's me texting. Because <laughs> it was, you know, he was text, he was texting from, <laughs> he was texting from the, down there. there was, anyway, you know, we, you know, sometimes we like a life less ordinary, but uh, when it becomes a bit less ordinary, we don't like it. But um, the point of that very tenuous story that has very little to do with the passage or anything, really, but the, the point of that is, um, is that I, for a time, I was in, in a stage, state of unreality. What I thought was reality, this kind of being, being stalked or harassed, wasn't reality. And... Uh, and Peace and freedom came from alignment to reality. Well, the, the same is true when it comes to the kingdom of God. The, the Bible says that the, um, the, 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 the devil is the, is the prince of, of this world. He's the, he's the God of this world. Um, it says he's blinded the minds of unbelievers. So actually, we're surrounded in many ways um, of versions of reality that are not quite true in the world. To be a Christian is to align ourselves or seek to align ourselves to reality and therein we find perfect freedom. So the kingdom of God is ultimate reality. And what we're going to be doing over the course of uh, uh, this weekend, today and tomorrow, is we're going to be seeking to do that, to align ourselves to kingdom reality. So we're going to be seeking to put on a pair of kingdom glasses so that we might see things as they really are. And I mentioned last night, those, we, had, we had that reading, didn't we, from um, John's Gospel, chapter 13, which was the washing of the disciples' feet. And I said that Jesus modelled what authentic ministry was, all called to ministry, I said, and authentic ministry or leadership is expressed in serving. 
And uh, we, we, we looked at this verse um, at the end, just at the very end, we looked at this verse, um, uh, verse three, where it, it says that Jesus knew three things, which I argued were the key to him fulfilling his earthly ministry. And it said Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. Uh, he knew that he'd come from God and he knew that he was going to God. So th- th- uh, three things. And, and I said that those three things were the key to us, we ourselves, even as his disciples, they were keys uh, to, to we ourselves fulfilling our ministries, the ministry that God has given each person in this room. And so those, those are the t- topics that we're looking at. Extraordinary destiny, uh, extraordinary identity, extraordinary power. So may God uh, give us... Uh, give us the, the sight to see things as they really are, to see things as he sees them. May we see these things from a kingdom perspective and, uh, and in doing so, may we find freedom. So extraordinary destiny is what we're thinking about uh, today. Now, when we, when we were driving here just the other day, uh, just yesterday, in fact, just last night, and um, uh, it seemed ages ago, uh, Anastasia, who's seven, uh, the, the sat-nav was taking us there, and, uh, and she said, when are we going to be at our destiny? She kept, she kept saying that. And uh, obviously getting the word wrong in terms of destination. So me and Tammy uh, chuckled slightly. When are we going to get at our, at our destiny? Uh, uh, she said, she meant destination. But obviously destination is, we use that word much more, don't we, in common parlance in terms of the place that we expect to end up uh, in the end. Jesus knew that the Father put all things under his power. He knew that he'd come from God identity. He knew that he was going to God. The Gospels tell us that Jesus is the one who came down from heaven. The incarnation tells us the glorious, mysterious truth of God becoming a human being in the person of Jesus Christ. And Jesus' destiny was to go back uh, to heaven, which is exactly what he did after his death, uh, his resurrection, his uh, ascension. He went back to be with the Father. And we're told... Um, Jesus told his disciples, those who name his name, those who choose to follow him, that that is our destiny too. In fact, John's gospel tells us that uh, Jesus assures his disciples that he's preparing us, those of us who are his followers, a place um, in heaven. And yet heaven is something that we don't spend a huge amount of time thinking about as Christian um, believers. That's the reading that we've Uh, just had from the book of Revelation. Heaven is not something that we spend a huge amount of time thinking about. And sometimes Christians who do are even mocked and derided. You may well have heard this famous quotation by Oliver Wendell Holmes. Uh, He coined it, so it seems. Um, Some people are so heavenly minded that they are no earthly good. And um, that's a, a phrase, even if we didn't know that Wendell Holmes said that that's a phrase that we sometimes bandy about you know surely the thing to do is 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 to be of practical use in this life not to concern ourselves too much with spirituality um, but actually making a difference in this world which so badly needs help and obviously that last bit is true that Christians of course are um, to live out their faith in such a way that leads to societal transformation but the question is this how best do we do that how best do we live out our lives in a way that lead to societal transformation? Well, the best way, the most effective way, the Bible says, I'm convinced, is for we ourselves to be transformed. For we ourselves to be transformed in such a radical way that we almost automatically become agents of 
transformation in the world. Many of the great evangelists believe this. John Wesley, who you'd have heard of, famous uh, Oxford evangelist, 1703 to 1791, died in 1791. He said, how do you change? He said, I believe in changing the world the old-fashioned way, one soul at a time. His view was that when human beings came to surrender to the government of God as revealed in Jesus Christ, that was the most effective way for the transformation of, of the world. Another Oxford uh, uh, person, uh, C.S. Lewis, again, would need no um, introduction. C.S. Lewis famously said this in his book, Mere Christianity. Out of interest, who's read Mere Christianity? Quite a, quite a few people, gosh, maybe half, a third, a third to a half of people. I notice it's on our bookstall here to the right. For the two-thirds of you who've not read it, snap up a copy, and uh, it's, a, it's a, a fantastic, amazing little book. So this is what Lewis says. He says, a continual looking forward to the eternal world is not, as some people would think, a form of escapism or wishful thinking, but one of the things that a Christian is meant to do. It does not mean that we are to leave the present world as it is. If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next, the apostles themselves, who set on, on, uh, on foot, the conversion on fire, I think it is, the, the conversion of the Roman Empire, the great men who built up the Middle Ages, the English evangelicals who abolished the slave trade, all left their mark on earth, precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. Aim at heaven and you'll get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you'll get neither. So Lewis turns it on its head. Uh, he basically says we need to become more authentically preoccupied with heaven, with our destiny, with the place that Jesus has promised is our, our, our final destination, the, the, the place where we will be. In fact, already, even though we're living in this fallen world now, um, we are citizens of heaven. We're Paul again refers to us as pilgrims or, or, or sojourners. We're simply passing through. Our ultimate destination is God's heaven. We belong there even now on the earth. So I agree with what Lewis is saying. We need to be, be more preoccupied with heaven. And so we had that amazing passage read to us just now from Revelation 21, which give us, gives us a picture of our final destination of heaven. So I want to draw out uh, three things uh, to do with our final destination, with heaven, three characteristics that are true uh, for the future and actually I believe are therefore true now. They can be true now, they should be true now. We should be seeking to cultivate these things now. They're not just promises for the hereafter but are promises for the now, for the, for the Christian disciple which will lead to personal transformation, which, as I say, has a knock-on effect, should have a knock-on effect in terms of societal transformation. So the first thing, uh, then, is this destined for purity. Notice uh, John, who had this beatific vision, this vision of heaven. He says, verse, um, uh, verse 1, he says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. So the picture we have here is of Christ, 
the bridegroom, Jesus Christ the bridegroom, that's a, 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 a New Testament pictorial image of Jesus the Messiah, but for the people of God as the bride. And the, the, and the bride of God here, depicted as spotless, depicted as sinless, depicted as pure. It's a picture to do with the holiness of God being expressed and being manifest in, in, his, in his people. God is, is, is holy and he wants for himself a holy people. And he has, in Christ, made for himself a holy people. You and I are destined for purity. In heaven there is no sin. And actually we're, we're called to a life of purity. We're called to a life of perfection here on earth. Now, holiness gets a bit of a bad rap, doesn't bad rap, doesn't it? Holiness or, or purity is seen perhaps as uh, in, in negative terms. We talk of, about people being holier than thou, but actually we're called to holiness. And again, holiness or purity is um, an aspect in walking in, in spiritual power. And there's that quotation, isn't there, in James, which says the prayers of a righteous person are mighty and effective. Um, holiness in our life can affect um, the efficacy of our of our prayer. It's not. It's it's we we don't hear things like that said very often. But actually, that's biblically true. Here's a quotation from Smith Wigglesworth. You might have heard of him. He was a Pentecostal pioneer and evangelist from the last century. Early in the last century, he was um, from. Uh, well, and you're from Leeds, aren't you? And he's from Bradford. He's a Bradford plumber. Um, couldn't read or write. Actually, taught himself uh, to read and write, so he could re- read the Bible. Anyway, Wigglesworth. Uh, said this he said uh, no one that sins has power sin makes a person weak sin dethrones but purity strengthens purity gives power in the christian life so what what is it then we've we've not got a time to, to speak about this in any great detail but let so I want, let, us, let me give this definition of holiness it's simply this holiness is reflecting the family likeness when I was at Wycliffe Hall um, in my early 20s, I had a photograph above my desk of my parents. And my, now, my parents split up. They divorced when I was three. And I didn't know my dad, so there were, there were not many photographs of my parents together. So the few that there were, there were, I treasured them. And this was a photograph of my parents who were... Th- then it was, it was a black-and-white photograph. They were, they, they were in their early 20s, and they were out uh, at some club or pub in Liverpool where they were from, and my dad was sat down, my mum was uh, sat on his, his knee. She had a wine glass in her hand. And my dad, as would have been much more typical at the time, had a cigarette, had a cigarette in his hand. And um, it was, it was um, I, and I was at the, at the time, early 20s, about the same age as my dad was in that photograph, in that black and white photograph. And I remember there was one occasion that a fellow ordinand, a trainee vicar, came into my room and they looked at the photograph and uh, they looked away, they looked a little bit uh, shocked. And uh, he was obviously pl- plucking up courage slightly to uh, uh, maybe to challenge me. And he, he basically uh, looked at the photograph, looked at me, and he said this, he said, who's that pretty girl on your lap? <laughs> obviously, because he thought it was me. Because that's what he said. He said, who's that pretty girl on your lap? Um, to which I replied, it's my mum. And uh, that, re- that really confused him. That really, that really confused him. Because obviously, he thought, it, he thought it was me. You know, I looked, biolog- physically, I looked like my dad. Holiness is reflecting the family likeness. And the biblical call to holiness is to be what we are. The the biblical truth is that we have been made holy 
in Jesus Christ. Because we've been incorporated into Jesus Christ, we have been made holy. But actually, the biblical call is to be what we are, to actualize in our daily decisions uh, and, and in our thinking, to honor God, uh, to, to serve God in such a way that the holiness that we are in Christ, we effectualize in reality. Now, the Christian tradition has sometimes got this wrong, sometimes just stressing the positional holiness, we're holy because we're in Christ, and saying that the actual holiness doesn't matter. That heresy has been called antinomianism, uh, to believe that we're, we, you know, we can do what we want because we're holy because we're in Christ. The other emphasis has, has been sometimes to forget the positional holiness and emphasize progressive holiness. It's all about me uh, sinning less and obeying God. The problem with that is we end up in a kind of works righteousness. And actually, it's, it's impossible to do anyway. The key to being holy in actuality is reflecting and accepting that we are holy because we are in Christ. The call to holiness is to be what we are. The second thing from our passage is that we're destined for perfection. We get this amazing picture of heaven in verse 4 when we're told, uh, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no more mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things have passed away. We're given this picture of heaven, which is one of perfection, when the fall and the effects of the fall are no more. And so God's kingdom is established forever in perfection. It's amazing having uh, uh, children, isn't it? Those of you who've got children, two young children, seven and Five. And one of the delights sometimes are the, the paintings that they present to me that bear no resemblance, when they, particularly if they paint me in particular. And <laughs> I think it bears no resemblance to, uh, to reality. Um, I saw this recently, it was to do with uh, children's paintings and uh, their bearing on reality. So uh, this, this, can you guess what this is? Uh, this is a giraffe. Imagine if uh, they really looked uh, like this. It would be a little bit like that, the giraffe... <laughs> The giraffe in the zoo. That's quite good, isn't it? And uh, you know what this is? Yeah, of course, it's a car. Wouldn't it be great if they actually really did? I'd love, I'd love one of those. Rum, rum, absolutely fantastic. And uh, what about this? Uh, yeah, the pet, this, is, this is the pet, the pet cat. And uh, we've got a, not a sausage dog, but it's a sausage, sausage cat in that case. Uh, and this one? And uh, yeah, absolutely, this is the next time you go to the zoo, it'd be great if uh, you saw, saw one of those. Um, and uh, this, of course, yeah, it seems incredibly complex, doesn't it? But there's the, there's the bike. I buy, I buy one of those, they're, fa they're fantastic. And, um, you know, our children at that age, it kind of, it's a, a shadow of the, reali the reality. Well, this life is a shadow of the perfect reality which is yet to come. And that, that verse, that verse of perfection to come. Actually, if we drink deep of the truth of that, it can be pastoral to our souls in terms of assuring us that whatever troubles that we face in this life, whatever hardships, and there'll be people, uh, many of us in this room right now, going through difficulties, some of which we've shared with our friends, maybe our small group, uh, some of which there'll be people in this room are going through things that you've shared with no one. Uh, no one, just at the end of the Lancaster mission, um, just uh, the night before last, 
um, there was a, an undergraduate, a young guy who was there who took me aside and said, can I have a, a chat with you? And he shared me some, with me some stuff uh, to do with his background and things that he'd been str struggling with. And, uh, and I prayed for him. He was in tears. And uh, this guy, 21, I think he was, he said, I've told nobody this. Now, what a privilege for me as a, as a Christian, as a, a church leader, to be able to um, encourage him, to, to be able to sp speak truth into his life, uh, to be able to, to pray for him. But he, he, he was off offloading stuff that he'd shared with no, no one. And that's, that's true. There are, for, for many of us, there are things perhaps we've told uh, no one, things that we, we struggle with. Well, let's drink deep of this amazing truth in the scripture that there will come a day when he'll wipe every tear from our eyes uh, when there will be no more death uh, or mourning or crying or pain because the old order of things will have passed away. So let's take heart from that, recognizing that truly um, the best is yet to come. Okay, finally, the, th uh, the third P, the th third point, which is to do with presence, verse three. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among people and he will dwell with them um, and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. Heaven is the place where we enjoy the manifest presence of God in its fullness. As Paul was to, to say in one of his epistles, we see through a glass darkly. It's like seeing through a mirror now. But then when we get to glory, when we get to heaven, when we get to our final destination, we'll see face to face. The author and writer Tim Keller said uh, this. He said, to stand in the presence of God, that is what the gospel is. The gospel is not primarily about forgiveness. It's not primarily about good feelings. It's not primarily about power. All those things are byproducts, sparks. It's primarily about the presence of God. An early uh, Christian um, uh, pastor from, from the early revival in, in China, uh, who, uh, this guy was an associate of uh, Watchman Nee, Witness Nee, Wit Witness Lee, he said this. He said, if in, in God's eyes, the old and the traditional practices in Christianity without the presence and reality of Christ are part of the present evil age. The religious age is evil because it keeps people from Christ and the church as God's will. There is nothing as evil in God's eyes as that which keeps us from Christ. It's all about the presence of God. And that presence of God is possible for us now. Uh, maybe not in fullness, but certainly in, in part. Uh, Jesus' title is Emmanuel, God with us. He has given us his spirit, the Holy Spirit. And God's presence is possible now. Let me just uh, finish quickly with a story and we're going to go into uh, questions in just a moment. A few years ago, I went uh, to one of the Dodecanese Islands, one of the Greek um, uh, Dodecanese Islands of Patmos. Now, uh, you may recall the book of Revelation, the, the passage that we've been looking at today. It was written by John the Divine, who's sometimes referred to, and he was on the island, in exile on the island of, of Patmos. So I thought it would be amazing to, to read, the scenes as I was there, to read the whole book of Revelation. So I did. I read all 21 chapters of the book of Revelation. I was in tears uh, by the end of it. And uh, I read it either in or just outside of this place, which is kind of um, the Chapel of the Apocalypse, which is, there, which is there on the island, commemorating the event of John receiving this amazing, um, amazing revelation. And, um, and as I read the, as I'd finished reading the Bible, 
this group of tourists all came in and it was obvious that they were, uh, they were Christians, you know, because it, 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 I, I, could, I could tell. And sure enough, I went to talk to the guy who was in charge and he was a pastor from South Korea and uh, he was with a group of Christians fr- from his church. And so he and I came up with the idea, why don't we just pray for all his people? So we, so we did. So we made two lines, the pastor and me, and we prayed for, we did a kind of prayer lines and we prayed for um, people from, um, from, uh, from his church. And many of them experienced the presence of God. Some of them were in tears. Uh, some of them were, were, sh- were shaking with the presence of God. Anyway, the equivalent of a verger, I don't know quite what the term is in the, in the Greek Orthodox Church. A verger th- came to stop us and he said, he said to me and the pastor, he said, stop, stop. And, and I said, well, we're both pastors. We're just praying for people. And he said, I don't care. And I said, oh, I'm an Anglican priest. I thought I'd try that one. I'm an Anglican priest. He said, I don't care. I don't care. What? Get out, get out. So we threw us out. So anyway, we continued praying for the people in the car park. And, uh, and it's great, God still showed up in power. He didn't particularly mind us being in the car park. And, but on the way back, it was interesting, on the, way, on the boat back to the other island that I was staying on, there was an American guy who came up to me and, uh, and he said, what was happening there? He said, I, I couldn't help but watching. I didn't realise this guy was watching. What was happening? Now this guy, just to, to backpedal slightly, I'd had a conversation with the same gentleman on the way out, on the, on the boat out. I got talking to this guy and he'd said to me, American guy, and he said, oh, this is the island where the book of Revelation was written, wasn't it? He said, what a load of rubbish. He said, a load of Christian fundamentalists believe this rubbish. And so I said, I said, well, actually, I'm a, I'm a pastor. And uh, I said, I don't, think it, I don't think it is. I don't think it is a load of rubbish. So I basically shared, shared with him a little bit about faith and he engaged with him a little bit. Anyway, that same guy who totally rubbished the book of Revelation, he found me on the boat on the way back. And unbeknown to me, he'd been watching me and the other pastor pray for these people and these people experience God in a tangible way. He said, what was happening there? So I told him, and I, I referred to him to the, to the painting that was at the front. There it is. There's the Chapel of the Apocalypse. And at the front, there's an icon. There's a, it's officially called an icon, which was um, a painting. There it is, close up. There's a painting which is an iconic depiction of Revelation chapter 1, the first chapter, verse 17, where it says this. When I saw him, this is the Lord Jesus Christ. This is John when he gets his vision. I fell at his feet as though dead. And then he placed his right hand on me and he said, Do not be afraid. I'm the first and the last. I'm the living one. I was dead and behold, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. And I used that iconic depiction that he'd seen in the chapel and the Bible that was open with me on the boat there to share the gospel with this guy. And having seen what he'd seen, he was open. And to my, much to my surprise, he ended up becoming a Christian. He ended up, I ended up having the privilege of praying with him and um, leading this man to Christ there on, on, the, on the boat. The presence of God changes everything. The presence of God changes everything. Well did uh, this guy, uh, Makris, who's a, an elder in the Greek Orthodox Church, it's good to uh, quote a kind of positive ex- example from the Orthodox tradition. Well did this guy say, um, we must have our, our gaze fixed on heaven. Then nothing here can shake us. May God, by his grace, we're going to look at these, um, on here, these questions, we're going to look at some questions now. But may God, by his grace, um, enable us to live with that sure and certain conviction that we are citizens of heaven, that we have this destiny, um, which is uh, that, we're, that we're, we're citizens of heaven, we're, gonna, we're headed to heaven, and may that be transformational in our daily lives. Amen.